Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim, here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better. I thought I was as good as I could be a few minutes ago, but it just keeps getting better. How are you today? Well, that is just grand to hear. I am very excited that you're doing so well. I am also doing really well. I'm excited that we speak with two incredible advocates, two people who are sort of in the crawl space family. They have worked with the death by incarceration folks, and they now have their own spinoff on the crawl space media network. It's called Injustice, and we are being joined by Lisa Spees and Spencer Daniels. And the primary focus of Injustice is the case of Emmanuel Rios and Angel Rodriguez, each of whom are serving life sentences for the 1987 murder of Sean Nelson. And this was based on a conviction obtained through fabrication, prosecutorial misconduct, and defense attorney failures. They've been incarcerated since 1989, and Lisa and Spencer have picked up the gauntlet and run with it as far as clearing their names, hoping that there's some justice. It's a truly in-depth story, very dense with details, but the way they produce this, the way they tell the story, the guests that they have on is masterfully done very highly recommended if you're looking for a wrongful conviction case to listen to probably one that you haven't heard of yet great points lance and couldn't have said it better myself so make sure to follow injustice on social media they're on instagram twitter tiktok and facebook it's at injustice pod on instagram tiktok and facebook and it's at injustice underscore pod on twitter and you can check out their website at injusticepod.com Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa Spees and Spencer Daniels. How are you today? Doing great. I'm good. Oh, it was perfectly in stereo. Good job. <laughs> we we have developed this over a good good amount of time here that uh, everything we do is in synchronicity. Well, that's a really good segue into the conversation. Everything you do is in synchronicity. Uh, what is it that the two of you do and... How did you? How did you? How did the two of you meet and decide to do what it is you do? So we have a mutual friend um, with the Death by Incarceration podcast, Kevin McCracken and Suave, and I knew them. And Spencer was friends with Kevin for a long time, and so we kind of met up through him. Yeah, I've been really good friends with Kevin for gosh thirty years now, maybe. So we we go way back and. You know, they were they were working on their podcast and starting to get some calls for, you know, requests to do some wrongful conviction stuff. 
and the scope of their podcast is is much larger than that. So they they kind of put us together, and so Lisa and I just really only met a, a handful of months ago. Well, it it feels like you guys go back decades. <laughs> it, it 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 does to us as well. <laughs> like an old, we're like an old married couple sometimes. Well, you're both uh, hosting the new podcast, Injustice. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast? Uh, sure. We're looking into the case of Emmanuel Rios and Angel Rodriguez, who in 1989 were convicted for murder of a, of a young man named Sean Nelson. And the only witness against them was a man by the name of Romance MacArthur. And Romance had incidentally confessed to this exact murder two years prior on tape in the office of an attorney. And so these guys have been in in prison for 32 years, even though there's a confession tape out there. And so we just really dug into this case. You know, we, we got our hands on the confession tape, uh, which was, which was done in the office of a man named Charles Peruto, who just a couple of weeks ago ran for district attorney in Philadelphia. And about a week, a couple of weeks prior to that election, he he actually agreed to an interview. So we we did a whole episode dedicated to an interview of just him getting his you know his reaction to to what was going on. But other than that, we we got these two guys who have been been in there for almost thirty three years, and and we think it's time for them to get out. I think too to say that we're more of an advocacy based podcast. So at the end of each episode, we have a call to action where our listeners can go sign a petition or donate $5 or share an episode to try to get these lesser known wrongful conviction cases more widely heard Um, and to actually benefit them in some way, you know, even though they're still incarcerated, try to gain traction and support for their case. Yeah. The advocacy thing is, is something that we, we really try to focus on. And do either of you mind giving a little bit of background about yourselves uh, as far as where you come from? And then how did that maybe relate to getting involved as an advocate for the wrongfully convicted? Um, So I basically, like a lot of white women, enjoy Dateline and 48-hour mystery. And that's sort of what my weekend is based around. And so, you know, probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I'd seen an episode on Marty Tankliff's case. And then I followed Ryan Ferguson's wrongful conviction for about eight years. And Ryan's case at the very end, I was very like emotionally invested in seeing this wrong be made right. And so I was doing these little things, social media posts and sending emails to my friends to sign a petition or to do whatever they were asking, write letters, whatever it was at the time. And I remember when Ryan pulled away from the jail his dad had bought a Chevy Cruze and had it wrapped in Ryan's face and information. And they pulled away. I thought mm, I could do something like that. But there were no other cases in Missouri where I was living at the time that I really thought needed help. They all had advocates and people were kind of doing their thing. And I also didn't know exactly what I would do because I'm not a lawyer. But I had that kind of seed planted in my head. And then a few years later, I watched a documentary on a wrongful conviction case in Virginia, and it was a little bit different because it was a clemency case, but I ended up reaching out to to the individual that was wrongfully convicted and his family, and we started working together to try to raise the profile and, and to help him. And within about four months, I decided to move from Missouri to uh, Virginia and work on that case. Now, it's been about five years since then, and I've worked on 
nine cases where people have come home. And um, this is sort of, this is a passion thing for me. I, I love being a part of this. I adore the people that I've met while doing this. And, uh, you know, each win kind of builds the momentum of wanting to do it again and again. So that's kind of how I got involved and where I'm kind of at with it now. Lisa brings the credibility and I, I've been saying this for the, as you know, talking about this over the past week that I'm sort of the emotional wild card of this pairing. I don't have a, a background in advocacy or doing any of this type of work. I'm just like, a, I'm a storyteller. And like I said, I've known Kevin McCracken for 30 years and he knows that, that that's, that's sort of a passion of mine is whether it's getting on stage or just telling stories, whatever it is. He thought that the two of us, Lisa and I, would be a good pairing because of the sort of yin and yang of covering these cases where, you know, she can come in and, and speak intelligently and know the the intricacies of this case. And I have been known to say some somewhat inflammatory things. Um, in fact, on the, the upcoming episode, I, I say some, there's some questionable things about a former uh, prosecuting assistant district attorney in Philadelphia that, that may or may not get me in trouble. Well, both of you definitely add to the credibility and, and lend to each other well, one being the detail-oriented one and the other being the, the storytelling. It's like the uh, play-by-play and the color analyst on a, on a sporting event. So it, it lends each other, it lends to each other. But Lisa, you said that you just recent or you moved, not just recently, but you said you moved and you specifically moved because of this because of your passion to be an advocate. Right. So clemency cases are different than cases where you have options to get back into court. And clemency, especially in Virginia, it's all about relationships. It's about building relationships with decision makers and with people that have influence over decision makers. And so when I decided to do all of this, I, I'm kind of a all-in person. And if I was going to do this and carry the weight of doing this in my head, um, I wanted to be doing everything possible that I could do on my end to get as get to that positive outcome that we wanted to get to. And really, there are ways to do it where you're out of state. But being brand new, I didn't know how to do that. And I wanted to I wanted to win. I wanted um, that individual to to be free. And so I knew that moving would get me closer to that outcome that I desired. And um, I was also at a time where, you know, I, I don't have children. I wasn't in a relationship. And so moving wasn't really that big of a deal to me at the time. It just it, everything pointed to, towards Virginia. All right. So this case that you are tackling in season one of Injustice, Romance and Murder, tell me a little bit more about this confession tape. What is on the confession tape? So Romance was was asked to go in to a Charles Peruto's office and give this confession sort of at the behest of, of Emmanuel Rios, one of the guys that ended up in prison. Romance had worked for him. And the purpose of the confession was only to draw the focus away from Emmanuel, better known as June. So June asked him to go to his attorney's office and, and make this confession on tape. So, so Romance went in and he described in 
pretty good detail that it was it was an accident that he he was he was attempting to scare uh, Sean Nelson. So he pulled the gun out as they were in the car driving and the gun went off. Sadly, a young man lost his life. So that tape, when the trial started, a lot of things happened over the next two years. The case went unsolved for two years until you know romance was was being indicted on another charge. He said, hey, I, I have some information about this murder. When June and Spanky, Spanky is uh, the nickname of Angel Rodriguez. When they went to trial, they called Peruto to the stand to produce the confession tape, and he claims to have lost it. So that's one of the things that I, I wanted to speak to him about and what we brought up in the interview that I did with him. And his, his story, it's a little unbelievable. It's more than a little unbelievable. He, he says that he had a cleaning crew, and they mixed up his, the confession, a murder confession cassette tape with all of his music cassette tapes. And it was stayed there for, for five years until he was in a car one day and he grabbed a tape to put it in. And it just happened, just so happened to be the murder confession. See, I have, uh, Tim gave me a tape once uh, that was a <laughs> hot summer mix 94. And I just went to listen to it the other day and it's DB Cooper. Shut up. <laughs> no, that's totally serious. Yep. Yep. Just mislabeled it. I was ex- expecting to hear some No Doubt, and, and I got D.B. <laughs> Cooper instead. Okay, so who who is this driving and, and pop the supposedly popped the cassette in? Uh, Romance MacArthur. Okay, run down a list of the characters for us, because okay. I feel like there's going to be a lot of names and then a lot of nicknames. Sure. So Emmanuel Rios, known as June or Crippled June. Angel Rodriguez, known as Spanky. Romance MacArthur, that's actually his given name, as near as I can tell. There's, there's nothing to say otherwise. That's what's listed in the court records. Romance MacArthur. And Sean Nelson, the, the young man that was, that was killed. Other than that, it's people in positions of power, like Roger King, who was the assistant district attorney, and A. Charles Peruto, who was the once attorney turned witness. Those are the main characters. Okay, tell me a little bit more about this attorney turned witness because that's where the confession tape happened, right? In uh, Peruto's um, office. What would have happened if the tape wasn't lost? June and Spanky wouldn't have been convicted. If the tape, when Peruto showed up to testify at trial, he told the court, he testified that Romance had given this confession and he even provided a transcript of the tapes confession, but he didn't have the tape itself. And so Roger King was able to create doubt that the confession even really existed and questioned Peruto's character and all sorts of things during his testimony. And it, it gave the jury an easy way out to kind of disregard the transcript completely. Yeah, if, if, the, if the tape had been there, I, I think it, there, there would have been no doubt as to their innocence. Okay, so but but Peruto testified um, everything that was on the tape and then gave the the transcript. So, but somewhere along the lines, the tape got lost and they it was in Peruto's hands at one point. So maybe someone in that office apparently lost it. What benefit would that have been to lo- to lose it? it that's unclear. <laughs> well, it's unclear, but. There was a lot of corruption in Philadelphia for decades. Um, Roger King is a notorious prosecutor there. There are 
dozens of cases that he's handled that have been misconduct has been proven. I, we can't say exactly what the motivation would have been, but the story that Peruto tells doesn't make any sense that the tape got mixed up in music in a car and he suddenly finds it five years later doesn't make a lot of sense. It is not the story that June and Spanky were told when the tape was found that it had been found in Peruto's father's safe. Just nothing about any of this makes sense. But there was no inconsistency on the uh, in the transcript versus the tape? Nothing different necessarily? I, I don't know that we've seen the actual transcription. Yeah, I don't think so. So it's it, uh, we don't know for sure. There is discussion of it in the transcripts. But you know, even even if it was word for word, just the, you know, taken out of context, like, you know, where a like a text message where you can't read intention. So I think some of that is taken away. You can you can hear in his voice. He's very unsure and he's very soft spoken. And he talks about how it was an it was an accident. Another interesting fact to this case is that romance, even after playing a large part in getting what was his friend, June, convicted and sent to prison, wrote letters. They, they actually corresponded in letters uh, for several years. And Romance had stated over and over that he was, he was going to help them get out. He was going to you know, come forward and tell the truth. None of that ever materialized, but one of the, one of the details that came about in these, these letters Romance claims to have been in Roger King's office one day while Peruto was in there. He was uh, romance was getting ready to testify and, and Roger King had Peruto scared uh, and it had something to do with, you know, he was possibly threatening him with some sort of legal recourse disbarment for not turning over a felony murder confession you know, he, he said that he did it just to protect his client. But, you know, one of the questions I asked in in the interview of him is, you know, did you have a legal obligation to turn this this confession over immediately? He wasn't your client. There's no privilege there. And if you didn't have a legal obligation, did you at least have a moral obligation? And he said, well, you know, I wanted to, but it just it happened so fast that the tape was lost. So. Whether or not that conversation did happen where King threatened him with some sort of legal recourse for not having turned that tape over, Peruto may have been scared and sort of denied the exit or didn't deny the existence of the tape, but was unable to produce it. And what would the repercussions be? Why, why would he be scared and someone in his position? I think that romance indicated that King threatened him with disbarment uh, mm -hmm. for, for misconduct. The interesting thing is, is it's it's in the court file that Peruto did write a letter to the homicide unit saying that he had this confession. No one reached back out. And for all we know, it could be some sort of misconduct with another case that Peruto and King were on together. We don't really know why why this would have happened, but it's hard to imagine Romance MacArthur making all of this story up about Peruto and King at the office and what King is saying to Peruto. It, it, it just it seems far-fetched that he would make all of that up. King and Peruto were, were pretty big players in the legal world at that time. Peruto was, was still fairly young in his career, but he'd made his name defending mafia types and drug lords and like all these sort of big time felons. 
And so he would have been going up against Roger King quite often. So whether or not there was there was some something left over from a previous case or they were in cahoots somehow, there's some sort of connection there. So there's just there's a lot of unanswered questions and, and uh, open ends to this this case. So Emmanuel and Angel, they're both still currently incarcerated. Yeah, I just I actually was on the phone with with Angel a couple of nights ago, very briefly. After 33 years there, there it's hard to remain optimistic but they are, you know, grateful that we've taken on this this story and trying to get their their case out to a larger audience. We told them that we'll we'll be in the parking lot the day that we get them out, and hopefully hopefully that day it comes soon. So you you said that you've spoken to Rodriguez, right? How many other people? Well, you've also spoken to Peruto. How many other people have you spoken with about this? Well, we we spoke to a number of family members of both of them. And we spoke to a young woman who was dating Romance MacArthur at the time. So we've we've probably done ten separate interviews for for this case so far, and we've only we've only released four episodes. So as of now, you've released three episodes or four episodes. We've released three episodes that are sort of serialized for this story, in, and then the Peruto interview in addition. So four total but three as the, as part of the story. Yeah. All relating to to this story. Okay. And how many do you plan on releasing or is that open-ended because you don't have your uh, solution yet? You don't have your conclusion yet. As of right now, we are stopping at six, six. We have planned to do a just sort of wrap up of the case. Um, we, we are scheduling video calls with both, uh, June and Spanky. So as of right now, that will be our, our final episode until we can pursue it further. So what, what is the route? You mentioned you're, you're excited to be in the parking lot when they are finally released. What, what are the steps that need to happen to get to that place? June and Spanky need to get back into court. And that's difficult with cases that are 33 years old because you, ha- you typically get back into court with new evidence. Uh, because of the lack of investigation and because uh, Emmanuel Rios has an investigator and a lawyer working on the case that are very good, I think that it won't take very long until they find something that will get us back into court for both of them. And whatever Rios, his team finds, will benefit Spanky as well once they get back into court. So it could go down one of two ways. You could go back into court and the conviction could be vacated or you could go back into court and they could order a second trial. I think if all of the evidence was presented to a jury, there's no doubt in my mind now that they would be they would be found not guilty. And, you know, this kind of falls in line with all of the cases that Roger King has prosecuted that are being undone now. And so it hopefully this moves along quickly. There's also an opportunity that it could go before the Conviction Integrity Unit and that they could get on board and that this could move much quicker than the court options. So there's a few different avenues to freedom. It's just kind of waiting to see how this all unfolds. King, for all of his convictions, seven of his death penalty cases have been overturned so far. And so the existence of the the tape now, after all these years, is sort of what's what can get the court's attention to to spark these occurrences. Well, uh, the tape would be the tape could be considered new evidence. However, the tape was known 
at the time of the trial, right? They mentioned the tape. And so I don't know how likely it is that that will be enough to get them into back into court on new evidence. Now, it could it could go much further if presented to the conviction integrity unit and they do a, a they do their own investigation of the case. Um, that could be very beneficial, but I, I don't know how helpful just the tape alone would be if going back into court. I think you would need a few more things to shore up that PCRA motion in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and a, a, a new trial would be advantageous because at that point, Romance MacArthur would likely be compelled to testify. Romance MacArthur is out walking the streets. He's free. He actually took a plea deal. He pled to a third degree murder charge for this murder. He claims that he was there, but he didn't he didn't take any part in it. So he pled to a third degree murder charge. He did his time. He's out. We've tried to track him down. We've tried to get him to come on the podcast. We tried to get him to talk to us. He is unwilling to do so. He claims that he said everything that he wanted to say. The problem is, is nothing bad could happen from him coming forward and discussing this. He can't be tried again. There's there, you know, double jeopardy would be there. The only thing that could happen with him coming forward would be to help June and Spanky get out of prison. Unfortunately, so far, he's been unwilling to do that. So maybe a new trial, if he was compelled to testify, he'd come forward and, and could help these guys out. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. New England is known for its charming towns, comforting foods, and of course its historical contributions. But the Down East region can have a dark side. I'm investigative journalist Kylie Lowe, and on my weekly podcast, Dark Down East, I dig into both decades-old and modern-day cases from my home state of Maine and the greater New England area. In each episode of Dark Down East, I seek insight from law enforcement officials, family members, and other loved ones who are both deeply familiar with the cases and the individuals at the heart of them. Join me as I unveil intricacies of these stories that are often overlooked, honor the grit of those searching for justice, and shine a light on cases that you aren't hearing on other podcasts. Listen to Dark Down East now, wherever you're listening. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. How daunting of a task is this for the two of you to take on? It it sounds like so dense and and intricate. But they're all a lot of moving. Every case is a lot of moving pieces. You break it down and you take one thing at a time, right? You hit you hit that first goal and then that set that aside and then you keep moving towards the next thing. The the goal is to hit that momentum point where enough things are moving at the same time that you create multiple paths forward. And I think that that I think we're right there at that line of seeing that happen with this case. They're all complicated. They're all difficult for different reasons. But when you have people that are innocent in prison, you know, and you have people working to right that wrong, eventually it will happen. Yeah. And and Lisa and I are, are, you know, figuring out how best to split this the tasks up so that we can, you know, divide and conquer sort of. So if, if she takes one Avenue and I take another then we come back together and we, we figure it out together. So we, we have the advantage of that with the benefit of that. And, and on that, in addition to it, what about all of these figures that are in the position of influence and, you know, are able to negatively impact your lives? Are you afraid of something like that? Like these individuals like Peruto and King? Well, King's dead. I will, I will say re- real quick that uh, after we released our Peruto episode, which was the week before the election in Philadelphia, Charles Peruto, who, who, who was running for office, had nothing better to do than get in a Facebook fight with Lisa in regards to our episode. They, they, they ex- exchanged some comments back and forth. So I, 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 we don't, I don't think we fear uh, rep- retribution from from Peruto. No, Peruto wants to insist that Roger King was a good prosecutor and a good lawyer, and what he was good at was convicting innocent people and sending a lot of them to death row, including my friend Jimmy Dennis, who had 25 years of his life stolen. So I'm not I'm not in any way afraid of him or or any sort of re- retribution. I've had threats in other cases, and it's just par for the course. You kind of know when you sign up that there are going to be people not wanting you to do what you're doing and you just kind of deal with it along the way. But so far we've, we've dealt with far more positivity in this case. The, the family, the family has been great, very accommodating. They're very excited that this story is getting out there finally. And that, that maybe, you know, their, their family members can come home after, after over three decades. You're talking about uh, Emmanuel and Angel's family. Yes. Yes. Have you spoken with Sean Nelson's family at all? No, I don't know that that was a conscious decision to not do that. You know, we've we've been very clear that even though this this story for, for us, the way we are approaching it is about June and Spanky, we've been very clear that that Sean Nelson is was the victim of this crime. And I don't know how much we would benefit from, you know, talking to talking to his family. You know, there's there's always the fear of sort of revictimizing. So, yeah, we we haven't we haven't reached out. And I, I don't. I don't know that 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 would be a great benefit to us. Now, Romance gave this confession. Did he say who killed Sean? Yeah, he did. 
he said that he he did it and it was an accident. Oh, he, so he said he did it. Okay. Yeah. The the autopsy report fully supports exactly what he said in the confession tape that a single gunshot at near point blank from his left temple through his right, which you know he was sitting upright. The the story that he told when he when he convinced the jury or had with the help of Roger King they re- convinced a jury was that there there was the three of them romance june and spanky and they they took him out in this van and they pulled him out of the van and they and they shot him which the the autopsy conversely does not support that at all in that when they when they found Sean's body on the side of the road he still had his hat on I mean, so it, there's there was definitely no signs of a struggle. He didn't have a bruise or an abrasion, a cut of any sort, and only had a little bit of um, blood on the front of his shirt, which again is consistent with sitting in the seat of a car and uh, you know getting shot through the head. And in addition to the confession that we have that from Charles Peruto, we also had two witnesses at trial who say that romance confessed to them while they were all incarcerated that he had killed Sean Nelson and that it was an accident. So it's not just this tape. There are two other people that he knew and that Sean knew that he confessed to as well. Yeah. I feel like with these wrongful convictions, you reach a point in the conversation that you just don't have anything to say because like it's so frustrating and, and, and there's, there's only so much you can do is like a an interviewer, like we're interviewing the two of you and you're interviewing them and and family members. And at some point, do you ever get to just a place where you're like exacerbated about the whole thing? You, you're just exhausted? Constantly. Oh, I will. I will. Say, yeah, I, I will say that as the as the emotional guy and new to this, I am learning that that that's a large part of it. So many of the cases defy all common sense. And I remember thinking when I first started advocating for for these types of cases, oh, I'm just going to go sit down with somebody and like explain to them what happened and then we'll get this all straightened out. And like the fact of the matter is they don't really care. You know, people have been convicted and and the burden shifts to the, the person that was convicted once that happens to prove that they're innocent. And that's very difficult to do. And you get that right away when you talk to somebody that they don't really care. Well, Sometimes you have the people that say that they really care because they want you to go away. Yeah. And so they'll play like they're interested in what you're saying and, and the facts of a case or whatever. But then you you realize kind of quickly when you don't get any other response or there's no follow up action down the road. There are a lot of people that just straight don't care. I mean, you look at Charles Peruto, the initial email that he sent to us about doing an interview was I never forgot Emmanuel. And I was really encouraged by that because I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, well, maybe he's going to use his status and power to get on a soapbox and advocate for him. And nothing further could have happened. I mean, it, it, it was ridiculous. His his story was the jury convicted them and a jury needs to to, you know, write that wrong in a second trial. Like he was a part of why these guys got wrongfully convicted and he won't even do the right thing. So it it is it's maddening. A lot of the time you have to figure out how to deal with that stress and frustration or you'll burn yourself out really quickly doing this work. Yeah. See, I think that's an important element to uh, talk about, not only during this interview, but would you ever have any plans to do maybe a sub series where you talk about those uh, emotions that you you two have to go through as well? I don't think a lot of people understand the self-care that needs to go into it. Yeah, we've talked about a few different kind of sub series 
that we could do kind of running throughout. And I think that that could be a really great idea for people. I preach self-care and even preaching it and knowing how important it is. I have a really hard time implementing it all the time because there's always work to be done. And when I'm working on a case, I want to see constant progress happening. But you will, I will burn myself out sometimes. I'll need a day or or a week or sometimes a month to kind of recover from, from a disappointment or, you know, life things that are happening in the midst of some disappointments and cases. So I definitely think that'd be a great idea. Yeah. I, I had taken a, a little bit of a sabbatical from, from therapy. And shortly after starting this, this podcast up, I, I reached back out to my therapist and, and I said, look, I'm, you know, I'm about to partake on this, this journey. And I, I think things might, there's a, there's a potential that things might get dark for me and we need to resume our sessions. So I'm already pursuing therapy. Uh, self-care has got to be a big part of it. You know, I'm still, I'm still new to the game. So I'm, I'm coming in fresh and bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and incredibly naive. Well, I think maybe naive, but idealistic too, that, you know, that the system works differently than, how it really seems to go most of the time. Therapy is, is certainly a huge part of something I think you have to do if you're involved in this and you're really wanting people to come home. It's certainly been a part of my self-care throughout the entirety of, of my advocacy work. And I think I would have lost my mind had I not been doing it, especially early on. Those initial disappointments are really hard to deal with, but you just got to kind of deal with it and keep pushing. Great, great job taking it on. It comes with so much. It's an endeavor. It's daunting. It's trying to put a, a, a ship over a mountain, you know, like you've just got all of this stuff that comes with it. You got the bureaucracy you've got the families you've got the victims the victims families and and then just your own personal selves like it takes a lot out of you we do take short breaks from you know digging into this story in itself and and you can get sort of lost in in the case and so like lisa said we we have plans to do some sort of you know bottle episodes where we can take a break and whether it's look at something a little bit lighter or just something different. Uh, we just, we just recently did some, some bonus, a bonus episode that we're, we're pretty excited about as well. Do tell. Oh, <laughs> because our, our release date is typically on Thursday. We didn't want to put an episode out on Thanksgiving. We decided to take a little bit of a break. So we sat down a few days ago and reflected back on the, this, this previous week or the week that we're in um, and everything that had happened sort of in the world of injustice. So we, we spoke about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. We spoke about uh, Julius Jones getting taken off of death row. We talked about the Ahmad Arbery case that's, that's still going. And then a, uh, another gentleman named Purvis Payne, who's got sort of um, forgotten about last week. And, and he's another, another man that got um, taken off of death row. So a lot of stuff was happening and we just decided to, to push pause on our story and sort of reflect on in the moment with all of the things that were, that were happening. So we, we have a, we have an episode that'll be coming out tomorrow about that. Uh, you might want to uh, amend your episode. I don't know. Uh, I, 21 minutes ago, I got the notification that Amand Aubrey's killers have all been found guilty. Praise God. <laughs> yes, that's that's great news, um, and I I think that our 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 conversation about that case in particular that was kind of expected. Um, we we really thought that that's what was going to happen. The powers that be 
don't mind sort of, you know, throwing a couple of old racist white dudes under the bus every now and again, you know, so they can say, see, racism doesn't exist. What you're saying is this was uh, a bit of an olive branch. Hey, look, I mean, you said it perfectly. Hey, it doesn't exist. Look what we just did with these guys. Yeah. I mean, that and the, um, you know, the, the coffee case that's, that's in Florida, everybody that's supporting the Rittenhouse verdict has come out and said, you know, look at this guy, coffee. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head who just got acquitted of uh, first uh, self-defense because some cops bust into his house and he protected himself and, and he got acquitted of this, this murder charge. But what people fail to realize on that is that he's still facing a 30 year prison sentence on a weapons charge, the weapons charge that, that Rittenhouse, they, they, dismissed from his trial. So yeah, there's a lot of racial components to it that, that I understand my privilege in talking about this feels weird sometimes, but, but yeah, it's, it's stuff that we have to, we have to at least bring up. Wow. Well, this is, this is an exciting show. Thank you so much for joining us here today, talking about it and really thank, thanks for doing the show. I mean, it's a, a glimpse into a world that needs more advocates like you. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, thanks for, for welcoming us not only onto your podcast today, but onto the team in general, to the, to the Crawlspace Media team. Of course it had to happen because you come from the, uh, the Death by Incarceration group and what they're doing is really great work. And if, if you two are coming from that group, then of course, like we have no, we have, it's, it's our obligation. And, and it turns out that the show is really good and you guys work really well together. Um, and what, what else are you uh, planning as far as another case once you've wrapped up your six episodes with um, this one? Yeah, we're, we've already got the next one lined up and Lisa knows a lot of information about that one. So our next case will be another Roger King case in Philadelphia. Um, it's a case I've been working on for close to two years now. It's a man by the name of Ralph Trent Stokes, who's been on death row for almost 39 years. Sounds like you're going to have a lot of material if you just use Roger King cases. We could do an entire podcast just featuring Roger King cases without a doubt. And what is uh, Mr. Stokes in prison for? A triple murder that occurred in 1982 in Philadelphia at Smoke and Joe's Cafe. The Smoke and Joe, Smoke and Joe Frazier, uh, his had a barbecue joint in Philadelphia, and um, yeah, there was a there was a triple murder that happened there one day. And uh, you know, uh, again, all a lot of the details are dubious that that ended up putting him behind bars. All right, and where can everybody find your uh, show and get more information on these cases? We are on all of the different podcast formats, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Stitcher, and wherever, wherever you get podcasts, we're on all of them. Um, Injustice is the name. We've got a bit of a social media presence. We're you know, trying to, to ramp that up and, and continue to highlight some other cases other than just the case that we're covering at the time. So we encourage people to, uh, to follow us on, on Twitter and Instagram. TikTok, we'll, we're working on that still. But yeah, we, we encourage everybody to come along for the ride.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 